We are so glad to be able to meet together again. And uh, it goes without saying that it's not under the optimal conditions, but let's choose to look at it in this way. Thank God that we have a way to do this. I was considering what it was like back in 1918 when uh, church gatherings were limited like they are now during the Spanish influenza outbreak. And I thought about how much more difficult it would be to stay connected for them than it is for us. And so uh, I'm thankful for that. And with that, I'm thankful to be able to speak to you. It's a real joy to be able to share the Word of God with you and just have a little bit of communication with you so we stay connected during this time. And I'm praying for you and asking God to bless you. I think we're in um, a little bit of phase of this quarantine now where we're not quite as afraid as we once were. So be careful and make sure you're still practicing all of those things that you need to to stay healthy. And at the same time, I think that people are kind of starting to get a little bit bored. I see more traffic out on the streets and those type of things. And so uh, I don't know what all that means other than the fact that, you know, we're humans and we don't like anybody telling us what to do. And, you know, you have those days when maybe it's cold. Look at me, I'm wearing a sweater in the middle of April today. Um, You have those days when it's just kind of nice to stay home and to stay in and not do anything. But when you turn that around and someone tells you you can't or you shouldn't, well, then you feel like you're in solitary confinement or something. And we're just not wired for all of that, are, are we? So let's pray for one another and kind of interact any way that we can. Check on people, uh, text messages, phone calls, those kind of things. And if you hear of anybody who needs anything or anybody who gets sick or any of that kind of stuff, don't assume that we know that, please. Uh, Make sure, even if you're the 20th person to tell me, I'm still grateful for that because that means that uh, we're networking together the way that we should and we really do want to be aware of everyone's needs and that means you personally and I encourage you to to uh, uh, whenever you watch some of these videos give us some feedback Uh, we'd like to know how we're doing we'd like to know if we're a blessing you can share them as well they might bless somebody else that we don't know and uh, we would like for this just to go all over the world if it if it could because we just really want to help it that's help people that's the only reason that we really do these things is because we believe it's a help to God's people, it's a witness to the lost, and it also brings glory and honor to the Lord. Now, as we have been looking at this 78th Psalm and Asaph, his concern that the younger generation, they're not learning the things that they need to know and learning the things that they should about their history and about the covenant and about the God that made the covenant with them, And so we've looked for two weeks, two sessions in this, about um, what Asaph is concerned about and what it's going to take because we have the same challenge before us, don't we? Now, as we have moved through this and we started seeing God's dealings with Israel after he brought them out of slavery, let's just consider this. If you were a slave for 400 years under an oppressive government, And God, the God of your fathers, sent a deliverer to you, and in a show of power and the strength of God, you have been set free. Wouldn't you think, I mean, if you just lay that down, wouldn't you think that would be enough? I kind of think it would be. And uh, maybe I look at things from a parental perspective. Sometimes 
you look at your children and they're whining and complaining because they want more. I remember one time I wasn't married. I didn't even have uh, uh, plans of getting married or anything. And I was walking through a grocery store and I heard a little kid, and I mean pitching a fit. And I walked around to the aisle where they were and the little kid is, you know, doing that. I want that. I want that. I need that. I need that. And the mama was taking... Uh, the kid would grab things off of the aisle and the mama was having to put them back. And uh, it, it you know, kind of made me wonder if I ever wanted kids, actually. And um, as I was going by there, the little kid looked in the cart and said, that's not fair, you get everything you want. And you know, that's the nature of children. If you ask a typical little kid, they're going to say, you know, why do we have to pay the electric bill? I'd rather go to Disneyland. Why do we have to buy groceries, I'd rather have candy or go to the movies or something like that. And they can't make good value judgments. And the other thing that we know is they are never really satisfied. Oh, occasionally you might run into that, but as a general rule, they want more, they want more, they want more. And that's part of the job of as, a, as a parent to kind of control that and to watch over them. And so when I see the people of Israel and I think about it from a, a fatherly perspective, I can understand what God is saying and what he is thinking uh, throughout this 78th Psalm as he describes his relationship to Israel, the people he had just freed. At the same time, I can also go the other way, and I'm a pretty selfish, spoiled person in my own right. It's called depravity, isn't it? And um, I can think about how easy it is to go from, oh, let's put it this way, four weeks ago, or five weeks ago, however long it's been now, I don't even know what day of the week it is half the time now, but uh, remember what it was like when we could go anywhere we wanted and do anything we wanted and buy anything we wanted? How long did it take for us to get fearful and desperate, even to the point of, hoarding things like toilet paper, remember that? And then we quarantine and we do that uh, after the, you know, the governor has told us that we need to and they put out guidelines. And so we do that at first, but how long does it last until we get tired of it? How long does it last before it's just too hard and this is just too much to ask of us? It doesn't take very long, especially, I think, in the era in which we live. Uh, when I was going into stores at the beginning of this, trying to find certain things that we needed, and seeing those empty, empty shelves, never in my life have I seen anything like that. Never in my life. And some people in some countries live like that all the time. And let's be honest, what we're going through right now doesn't even come close to what our parents and grandparents went through in the Great Depression. But it doesn't take long for us to turn from people who ought to be grateful for everything that we've had and everything we've been able to do and everything that has gone our way to all of a sudden becoming people that are bored and whiny and complaining and all of that. Well, don't you think that's a little bit of the human nature aspect that was going on with Israel? I mean, at first, they're just ecstatic that they're liberated. And then when they go through, uh, get to the Red Sea, now all of a sudden... You know, they're complaining against Moses and complaining against God. Then God brings them through and they're singing and dancing and celebration on the other side. And then you don't go very far and they're thirsty. And uh, they're just, well, well, God provided all of that and did all of that for us, but I doubt he can do anything now. 
We've exhausted all of his miracles and all of his power. What'd you do, Moses? Bring us out here because there weren't enough graveyards in Egypt? And on and on and on and on and on it goes. And that's kind of what we're entering into now in this particular part of this psalm. And the title of this is, How Does God Deal with a Spoiled, Selfish Generation? And we might see a little bit of ourselves in all of this. And I think the reason Asaph is talking about this is because as families, we tend to hide dark times. We tend to hide unfaithful times. We tend to hide sinful times. And there may be some aspect of that that is good. There are probably some things people just don't need to know and they need to die with us. I can kind of get that. But at the same time, Asaph is exposing some of the problems that the previous generations of Israelis, especially that first generation coming out of Egypt, some of the things that they faced because he doesn't want another generation to repeat them. And we need to be open and vulnerable enough to not let our children grow up thinking we did everything right and in our day everything was perfect and everything was wonderful and everybody did what was right. Now there was plenty of sin back when we were growing up and there was plenty of sin when our parents and our grandparents were growing up. And so some of those things we need to share. Now I think there are some reasons why we need to do that. And I think one of them is because the sins of the fathers are visited to the third and the fourth generation. In other words, consequences of three or four generations are still being felt today. And I think that also reminds us that some sin is kind of genetic. Have you ever noticed that alcoholism runs in families? Uh, addictive personalities, those kind of things. And I think sometimes our children have the idea that back in my day, everything was wonderful and everything was perfect and we were happy to walk in the snow to school uphill both ways, you know, that kind of stuff. And the truth of the matter is, we had the same struggles and the same problems maybe that they do and it would do them good to know that we struggle with the same things they're struggling with. Maybe it would help them, maybe it would encourage them. I think another reason is, that as we expose that sin, we can also expose the grace of God and the power of God to forgive and to see us through those things in spite of what we do. And I think that as we do that, it strengthens us, it unifies the generations because we don't have this you know, big divide of I don't understand you and you don't understand me, but we do have some common things that we need to deal with. And uh, there are some family secrets that as you expose them to the light, they tend to go away. They tend to um, become not so big of a scandal or a big a deal. It's a sigh of relief to get some of those things out. I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking of. Because the Bible tells us that in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them <clears throat> will obtain mercy. And I think that works in families as much as it does on a personal level. Well, when you think about what Moses wrote in the book of Exodus in chapter 20, verse 5 and 6, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for the Lord your God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those 
who love me and keep my commandments. And so when I think about that, that's really the story of, e of Egypt and Israel. That God literally uh, destroyed Egypt and uh, their armies, their economy, and uh, their slaves that they depended on are, are gone now. And yet Israel, um, they're as imperfect as they are, Israel survives and Israel is able to go back into the land. And we know the story in Joshua and in Judges and in Ruth and all of that as the story of these people that have gone back into the land. And God blesses them in spite of their sinfulness and you see grace uh, extended to them. Well, doesn't our family have that same type of history? I mean, aren't, those, aren't there things that maybe grandma and grandpa did that were not so good? And yet look at your family today. You're loving God, you're serving God, you're intact. That's the grace of God upon sinners. And so those stories as we share, they tend to help and they tend to explain. And that's why I used those verses. So let's go to Psalm 78 and let's uh, look at this next stanza of this hymn. And we'll go down to uh, verse 17. <clears throat> Excuse my voice, allergies. <clears throat> and it says, But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God. Remember what Jesus said about that in his temptation? They tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God, and they said, well, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Let me stop right there, because of course He can. But what is it that they're really saying? Oh yeah, God brought us through the Red Sea, but can He feed us today? I mean, that's the way America acts, isn't it? That's the way we act sometimes. Well, I know God did great things in the past, but I'm not sure He can handle this now. You see what they were doing? And it says, Behold... He struck the rock and, uh, so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Well, can he give bread also? It's like whatever God does, it is never quite enough. We're never content, never satisfied with what he does, even if it's mighty, miraculous, and life-saving stuff. Well, can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? I mean, he's put on a pretty good show in the past. Well, we get down to verse 21, and there's a, a big word here, therefore, okay? Because of everything we just read about, therefore, the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger against, uh, also came up against Israel. And why did that happen? Verse 22 tells us, because they did not believe in God, it wasn't that they didn't believe that he existed. They had seen that. They didn't believe in his goodness, his character, his faithfulness. They didn't believe that he would keep the covenant that he had made to them because they did not believe God and did not trust his salvation. Now, isn't it interesting that as believers, we will trust God to take us to heaven, but we're not sure we can trust God to provide the next meal. We're not sure we can trust God to provide retirement. We're not sure that we can trust God to do anything else. That's exactly what they were doing there. He had saved them, bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them through the Red Sea. But, you know, can he do anything now? Verse 23 says, Yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. 
talking about blessings, remember that verse in Malachi, had rained down manna for them to eat and given them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. Every day their bellies were full. They were satisfied. And he caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought the south wind. He also raised meat, or rained meat on them uh, like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas, and he let them fall in the midst of their camp. They didn't have, even have to go hunt for it. All around their dwellings so that they ate and they were well filled for he gave them their own desire. Their craving is one way to translate that word. And verse 30 says, They were not deprived of their craving, but while their food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and saw the strongest of them and uh, slew the strongest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. And we'll stop there. Now, what is it that God does with this selfish, rebellious, never satisfied, always complaining, tempting and questioning God? Uh, what is it that God does with them and how does he deal with them? I think maybe the way he is dealing with them, we can see this in our own life and maybe even in our own land. I mean, what more does God have to do to prove to us his power, his greatness, his glory, his love, and his mercy? And yet we complain and we complain and we indulge in sin and we go the wrong way. And instead of running to God, we run away from God. And when God doesn't do anything immediately, we think that's permission. And so we continue in sin instead of letting the goodness of God lead us to repentance. You know what I'm saying. And I think this speaks to the generation we live in as a nation. But it also can speak to our own families. Now notice, number one, that God glorifies himself, and I'm going to use these words, in spite of them, in spite of them. This is not God freely moving. This is not a revival type situation. This is not everybody getting happy in the Lord and worshiping and praising and singing. This is not Israel after they've come through the Red Sea when spontaneous praise and celebration breaks out. This is God working miracles to people who were skeptical, who were questioning, who were ungrateful. Did you notice that in the, that passage that we read? And, uh, oh, yeah, well, I know God can do <clears throat> those things he did in the past, but what about now? What have you done for me lately? Can you imagine the audacity of anyone saying that or acting like that toward God? And yet we find that it's human nature to do those kind of things. And so that's the first thing. God is glorifying himself. I think he's doing that in our land right now. There are plenty of times when God moves and when God does some things, and he does it through people and through churches and charitable organizations and all of that. He allows our economy to be blessed when we're indulging in sin and all of those kind of things. And yet when we have a downturn, we want to know where God is. We want to know uh, where God is, why he's not helping us, why he's not answering our prayers. Well, maybe, maybe he's doing more than we think he is doing. And just maybe, child of God, God is working now in a way that you're going to look back on 
and see that this was one of the greatest times in your life. Maybe this time of being quarantined bonded you with your children in a way that it never would have happened otherwise. Maybe some of you, your job was a little bit threatened, and maybe this brought you into a new career that is so much more fulfilling than anything you've ever done before. Maybe this coronavirus quarantine thing caused you to be able to do something for a neighbor that you never would have been able to do before, or they wouldn't have cared, but now all of a sudden it matters. Maybe now you find out the value of a phone call or a text message or something like that. Maybe we get more views on some of our church services by live stream than we would even have in attendance on a Sunday morning. And maybe some of those people are in places we would never go. And maybe somebody trusts Christ as Savior and Lord in another state, in another part of the country. And we look back on all of that and maybe God is getting ready to launch something that we never could have imagined. Maybe this is the point to where you get desperate enough that you cry out to God. Maybe this is the point where you weed some things out of your life that are actually poisoning you and are disruptive to you. Maybe this is a place where a nation finally at least acknowledges God. Maybe this is a time like our state did just uh, not too long ago where we had a statewide prayer meeting. Maybe it's things like that that God is going to bring something great out of this. But understand, if God does that, I'm not sure what he's going to do, but let's just say he does. If he does that, let's acknowledge it's not because we deserve it and it's not because we were really seeking it. It's because he was glorifying himself in spite of us. And I'm glad that he does that. I really am. He's a faithful God. Now, secondly, you will notice that uh, as, as Israel is going through all of this kind of stuff and he is showing himself and glorifying himself, notice the next thing he does is he contrasts himself to them. Isn't it amazing that we try to think and act like we are godly? To be godly doesn't mean that I'm just nice and I smile instead of cussing. Being godly means that I am like God. It's godlike is the phrase. And we all tend to have this idea that we're a little bit more like God than the average Joe. <clears throat> we are a little bit, <clears throat> there it is again, we are a little bit better and we're kind of the upper crust in society. Maybe not economically, but in our morals and in our thinking and all of that. Well, the truth of the matter is, we have a whole lot more unfaithfulness in us than we would like to admit. And just like the people of Israel, we've experienced so many great and wonderful things from God, and yet how long does it take us to stray? I've joked about it before. I can end a service here on a Sunday morning, a normal Sunday morning, and I can be filled with the Spirit of God until I try to make a left-hand turn out here on the 104th. It doesn't take long and it doesn't take much. And so we find that God contrasts himself with the people. What do you find in the people? They're never satisfied. Nothing is ever good enough. And they can turn on Moses, God's man, and they can turn on God himself like that. It just doesn't take long. But what is God doing? He's consistent with himself, his nature, his laws, everything that he has said. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will die. 
And God is consistent with those things. He shows them love when they don't deserve it. He preserves them when they deserve to be wiped out. This is a faithful God, and He is taking care of unfaithful people. That's the way we need to see things. Why is it that you even have a family today? Oh, well, I've just done everything right. Maybe you need to look at it like this. In spite of your unfaithfulness as a father or a mother, you've had a faithful God who worked instead of bringing the judgment that you might have deserved. He was gracious and he was merciful because he does that. Well, what about the times where he doesn't do that? Well, that's his prerogative. And he always has a good reason, just like he did as we're reading in this psalm. When people continually question him and continually rebel against him, there are going to be consequences at some point. I'm so glad God is patient. And I'm so glad that he is, is slow to anger and slow to wrath. Or this nation wouldn't be here. And my family would have been wiped out generations ago, meaning that I wouldn't be here. But God is in contrast to us. He's always good. He's always righteous. <clears throat> he's always faithful to his word. Third thing, notice that how did he deal with this selfish generation? Is he gave them what they wanted. You know, uh, thank God for unanswered prayer. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? Because there are some things that you thought you couldn't live without that would have been the worst thing for you if God had granted those things. Any of us with any age, any wisdom, can look back and go, well, I was bad, wrong about that. I'm so glad that God didn't answer that prayer. Or at least he answered it with a no, I guess we should say. Well, what about the times when God finally says to the people of Israel in the wilderness, is this what you want? Yeah, we can't live without this. And he rains it down on them. You know, when they were saying, well, he can get us out of Egypt and the Red Sea, but can he set a table in the wilderness? And what did God do? He gave them, as this psalm says, the bread of angels. I mean, this is something they had never eaten before. Why is it called manna? Manna is Hebrew for what is it? And that's what they named it. Uh, what is it? And so they would eat it, and they would eat to the full. And as I heard uh, Chuck Swindoll say one time, when you, were during, when you were in the wilderness during that time, nobody ever asked what's for supper. The only question was, how'd you fix it? How'd you fix it? And uh, Keith Green in his song, he talked about banana bread and manicotti and those kind of things. But you can imagine, it got boring, it got old eating that. But yet they should have been great, grateful for it because it was filling their bellies, it was keeping them alive, and it was getting them from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. But it never was enough, was it? It never was good enough. Oh, they complained and they complained and they complained. And when they were told that they were to gather it fresh every day, some of them tried to go ahead and gather enough for two or three days and remember it rotted and uh, had worms in it. You know, they just, no matter what they did and no matter how good God was, they didn't really want to obey Him. Well, after a while, bread wasn't enough. We've got to have meat. I mean, after all, think about when we were back in Egypt as slaves. Think of all the meat that we had. You know, I'm kind of questioning that. I don't know about you. Kind of questioning whether slaves got to eat to the full or whether they had everything that they wanted. And uh, yet they look back and they romanticize the past. And we do that as well. 
Sometimes we look back at times we wanted out of so badly, now we call them the good old days and we reminisce about them. Well, that's what Israel was doing. What God was doing with them now was never good enough. And I ask you a question? Is what God is do is what God, how do I want to say this? Are the works of God and the leadership of God, the presence of God and the provision of God now, are they enough and are they good enough? Is everything back in the past? Are you a Christian who's like a peacock? All your glory is behind you. Everything is way, way back there. Well, what about now? Catch up to what God is doing in your life now. No, it may, may not be dramatic and it may not be fun, but it is still the work and the will of God. And Israel couldn't get this. And you and I need to learn from this, folks. And so they weren't happy with the bread. So they said, oh, if we only had meat. And God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And he rained the quail down upon them. Don't you know they were ecstatic about this at first? We don't have to hunt it. Here it is. We just pick it up. We've got all that we want. But when God had told them he was going to do this, back in Exodus, I believe it was, might have been numbers. He told them, I'll give you meat and I'm going to give it to you till it runs out your nose. In other words, you want meat? You're going to get so much of it, you're going to be sick of it and you're going to vomit it. You know what God does sometimes to stubborn, rebellious, self-centered generations? He gives them what they want. He takes away the restraint. He lets it be just poured out upon them until they're sick of it. You know, when you have a society that says we want to have sex anytime, anywhere, with anyone, in any situation, sometimes it gets to the point where God says, go for it. And think about the sexually transmitted diseases. Think about the uh, hurt that occurs in broken homes, in families, in children who are not real sure who their, who their father is. Think about the societal implications Think about crime that takes place because of that, so sex trafficking, for example, the pornography industry. Think about all of those things that come about because of this. And it's almost like we get to the point to where we vomit on all of it because we can't handle the scourge that it is on our society. And it doesn't stop until the, the sin stops. It goes on and on and on and it spreads and it becomes more perverse. That's the way the quail was. God gave it to them, and then it was just like way, way too much and way too rich, and they really couldn't handle it. I just want to tell you something. If you are a parent who indulges your child, giving them everything they want, you are doing them no favor because that's what happens to people who are selfish, and guess what? It didn't correct it either, did it? This generation of Israelites didn't get to go into the promised land. Not even Moses. There's something about self-control and discipline and contentedness that they all tend to work together for character development. Moses never really controlled his anger, did he? The anger that caused him to slay the Egyptian, the anger that he would have at times with the people of God. And you remember that he was commanded to strike the rock and that rock, the Apostle Paul tells us, is Christ. How many times was Christ to be smitten? One time. So the next time they needed water, God told Moses, go speak to the rock. Go speak. Ask for the water from the rock. And Moses, in his anger, he struck the rock. You know, because he got out of control, 
he missed going into the promised land. And we failed to see that maybe Moses controlled his anger most of the time, but he didn't really kill it, did he? He didn't really gain victory over it. And there are things in our hearts, <clears throat> things in our lives, that if we don't gain victory over them, it's going to be to our demise. And there may come a time when God says, if this is really what you want, and you want this more than you want me or my blessing, have at it, have at it. And then there's a curious thing when you get down to that last verse in the section we were covering. It says that while the food was still in their mouth, God slew, and did you notice the phrase, some of the strongest among them? You see, the way God deals with a selfish generation is sometimes he removes the very people that they need. Now, you'll notice that it didn't say that he removed the most sinful from among them. It doesn't say that he removed the most wicked from among them, but he did take away some of the strongest men that they had. You know, when you're in the wilderness for 40 years, you need some strength, and you need some people you can call on. They're strong. They have a strong back. They can carry things, they can handle things, they can fight maybe if that is needed, but God begins to remove them. You know, I think that in a generation like this, God begins to take away the heroes. God begins to take away the statesmen. God begins to take away those people with wisdom, and He takes them on home to glory. He takes them out of the way, and it's as if he's saying, if you are so bent on saying, I can do it myself, I don't need anyone's help, not even yours, God's, or God, then he just removes anyone and everyone who could help. So how does God deal with a generation like this? And do you see it? He glorifies himself in spite of them, not through them or because of them, in spite of them. He contrasts himself with them. And never have we seen a time when Maybe the typical American is less like God than, than before. We see the difference and the distinction, and we should be in pursuit of God as a children of God. And then thirdly, he indulges them. Material possessions, just pouring it on them till they no longer appreciate anything, no longer excited about anything, bored with everything and sick of everything and all of the consequences. <clears throat> and then fourthly, he begins to take away the wise, the strong, the powerful, the statesmen, those people who know the Word of God, those people who know how to put on the armor of God. Well, let me ask you this. If you go back 20 years ago, even in our own church, those of you who were here back then, who were the prayer warriors? We had several of them, several of them. There were people that you could call upon and they would pray, and you were confident that God was hearing their prayers. Where are they now? They passed on. Who's taken their place? I don't know. I hope it's you. I hope it's you. I hope we have somebody. But isn't it interesting how we look and we say, who's going to take their place? Who's going to be there for us? And it's as if God said, you said you could make it on your own, son. You said you could make it on your own, daughter. Here's your chance to prove it. And that's what was happening with Israel in that generation. And I think we see the same thing happen today. Now may God use us to change all of that. <clears throat> may God work through us so that we don't become like them. And like Paul told us in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 10, that we don't become like them, the ones who were in the wilderness. So here it is, Graceway. Here's our chance. 
And this time, this pause in our daily lives, as long as it's gone on and however long it will go on, this is our chance. What are you going to do with it? I hope you'll do the right thing and hope that you will turn to God and hope that you will learn and hope that you will become a positive influence on the upcoming generation. May the Lord bless you. And I want to ask you to continue your giving to our church. You can give online. You can drop by the office. You can mail it if you want to. But thank you so much for giving. And during this time, we really do need it. And uh, God will bless you for it. And you are certainly a blessing to us. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless you.